This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. I'm so glad you're here today. If this is your first time, again, I just want to welcome you. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kelly, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, we're in part three of a series called New Threads. I actually think it was my mom's generation that would have called them new threads. Uh, but we're going to talk about new clothes today. And a lot of times, we've, as we've kind of built out this series, we've talked about how clothes reflect our style. And I actually don't think that that's a really superficial thing. I think that what we wear over time can actually reflect a deeper transformation that goes on on the inside. And so as we have opportunities in life to reinvent ourselves, there's an opportunity for us to even express that in the clothes we wear. So we can joke about... Uh, mostly Landon's phases throughout his adolescence of skater to prep, but really there was something deeper going on on the inside when he was reinventing himself, how he wanted to be seen, how he wanted people around him to see him, maybe even who he felt he was on the inside, because what we wear, it actually, it actually matters, and, and not in a superficial, materialistic kind of way. When we pulled up to church this morning, our officer was outside, and I knew right away, based on what she was wearing, what her job is. I knew that she was not mall security. There's a difference, not the same. I knew that she was not um, a parking lot security person like at the forum somewhere. I knew based on what she was wearing on the outside, what the expectation of her job is. I understood that there comes a certain level of responsibility with the uniform when she puts it on. So what we wear it, it matters. It reflects who, and they were out there doing something on the side of the road, and, and you were to pass by somebody, and, and maybe they were in a suit, and they were out there doing something on the side of the road. It would be really awkward. It wouldn't really match. Here's a word for us today we'll talk about more in depth, but compatible. It would be incompatible to see a random person on the side of the road doing something. Now, put that random person who's doing something in an orange vest, with some cargo pants and a tool belt maybe and a hard hat and some tools with them. Now it's not so weird. Now you know this person is probably a shouted out construction worker. So now it's not so weird because the outfit reflected it. I remember my first job. I worked with my aunt who managed a hospital on the East Coast, an animal hospital, and I got to be the CPS, Chief Pooper Scooper. You should be impressed. My job was to clean the kennels out. This is what deterred me from my childhood dream of having a Great Dane because at one point we had three of them in the kennels and I just thought, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. But as the chief pooper scooper at this, at this animal hospital, I got a uniform. My first job, I get a uniform. I get to wear scrubs to work. And I remember being 16 and putting on scrubs and my name tag, and it felt official. And it felt good. I, it just, there's something about what you wear. It reflects the responsibility. If somebody comes in in a lab coat uh, or like a doctor's coat, you have a certain level of expectation with them. And then fast forward over the years, when I was teaching, we didn't have any kids yet. I did that for a few years. We had kids, and then I stayed home with them. Somewhere along the line, I thought it would be a great idea to go back into the school as a sub. So I wake up one day, years later, and I go to my closet to get ready for orientation. So Kelly, when she had her first kid, she was 26. I have had some children now. I've now entered my 30s. Everything about me is actually different. My age, my decade, my season of life, my physical body, allegedly my maturity. Everything about me had changed except my wardrobe. So I go to get dressed for orientation. And I'm going to be real honest. I felt like a complete goon. Because over those times of being a stay-at-home mom, the styles had completely changed. This is when skinny jeans came out and, and the shoe styles changed. And I actually had nothing to wear. I was like, just cancel it. Too bad COVID wasn't out yet. I could have been like, look, I think I have COVID. I have a fever. I can't go. And nobody would judge me for not wanting to go. I just, I didn't have anything to wear. And we all know that stress of you're trying to get dressed, but you don't have anything to wear. And when I put on these clothes, it totally didn't match the season that I was in now. It didn't match the season I was in. It didn't match me currently. It matched nothing about me because everything about me, everything in my life, life had changed. It was incompatible. This outfit in this season of life that I was trying to wear 
was incompatible. So I did what anybody else my age would do. I would go to Forever 21, which seems like a great name for a store when you're 17, 18, 19, 21, maybe even 24, 25, 26. But it turns out when you're like 32 and you go to Forever 21, it's kind of awkward. I remember the last time I went to Forever 21 because, y'all, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a last time for all of us. You don't know it, but there's a last time for all of us. And I went without kids. And I remember walking through the store and I was looking around and this was my internal dialogue. Take a journey with me. I'm gonna be vulnerable here. Also, don't judge me. So my internal dialogue was like, Kelly, just like be, be chill, like unfurl your eyebrows. Like don't look so shocked. But in my brain, I'm like, am I on candid camera? Like is John Keonis about to come in and be like, psych, all these clothes are actually from Goodwill. Because I'm looking at these clothes for Forever 20, and I'm like, there's no way that these are actual new clothes that actual people put on their actual bodies to wear to actual places. I just couldn't believe it, and I just was like, Kelly, you should, like, pick up something to pretend that you can consider it. You can't just breeze through the whole store. And I was like, it was very stressful for me. And I remember the time I went to Abercrombie with Kaylin as an infant. She was in a stroller, and I'm in the store. Nobody greeted me. Nobody asked how they could help me. Nobody. And I'm in there with my stroller, and I'm like, it's so dark in here. Like, I can't even see anything. And nobody's helping me. And it's so dark. How can I even see these clothes? Like, and this music's so loud. It's definitely going to wake up my baby. And then I, it hit me. This ain't for me. This is incompatible. With me. I'm not their people. Like, they're not doing any of this for me. My, my time had passed. This is no longer my season of life. I don't belong here anymore. And they made that very clear to me. So I went on. Also, where do we go after that? Nobody tells you. Like, you're just lost after that. Just lost. But it was incompatible. We, we have to wear clothes that reflect who we actually are. And the season that we're in, or the series that we're in, we're talking about putting on. And the scripture that we're going to look at, look at uses a phrase that says put on. And the reason we're calling this new threads is because that word is translated into the same picture as like clothes. Like put this on. Like a shirt. Like an outfit. Like actually put it on. And then there's a word that's on the flip side of that that talks about taking off. It says putting it off. So we're going to look at some of these words today. And I wanted to share with you uh, kind of an idea of a quote that I heard from a German philosopher this week. And he said that, that our lack of words can limit our world. I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you know that you're feeling something, kind of you're going through something, but you can't articulate it. And then somebody else articulates it and you're like, yes, that's it. That's how I feel. Thank you. You kind of put some skin on it. Now I've kind of got some handles of language to help me work through what I'm experiencing or what I'm feeling. And so today that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some language. We're going to look at some words that was written in a different language at a different time to different people. But it's still, God's word is powerful enough that century after century, millennia after millennia, to different groups of people over a span of time, it's still relevant and helpful and useful for us today. And so to help us understand and, and get some handles on what these words are, we're going to dig into the text today. And, and Paul is describing what we're supposed to put on and what it is we're supposed to take off. There's a set of attitudes that as a Christian we should put on. And attitude does not happen by osmosis. Attitude does not happen just because you feel a certain way. That's called a mood. But an attitude is something that is chosen. Anybody ever told as a kid, like, you better change your attitude, I'm going to change it for you? All right, real talk. Who as a parent has told their kid, you need to go calm down and change your attitude or we're going to approach this a different way. So an attitude is a choice. And this is what Paul is describing in Colossians 3.24. We've been reading the message translation together, so we're going to continue that today. We're going to read it all together. All together. Say all together. All right, you can participate in church. If this is your first time, welcome. We're going to be friends today. We can just, we can talk back to each other. So on the count of three, we're going to read it together. You ready? One, two, three. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, and discipline. Great job. So that's the message translation. This translation is more of a kind of thought for thought. And I want to look at another translation with you that is more of kind of word for word. And it's in the ESV, and it reads this way. It says, put on then. And this is the put on. This put on is translated in, to, to paint a picture of clothes. Like you are going to put this on like you would put on clothes. So it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
This is who you are. It says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So for you to put on something that reflects who you truly are, it tells you right in this text who you are. It tells you who you are. And if your outfit is to be compatible, shout compatible. Compatible. If your outfit, if your attitude is to be compatible with who you actually are, let's look at what God says about you. I got a personal designer here for you today. His name is God. Not only did he personally design an outfit for you, he specifically picked it out just for you. And you're getting the VIP experience today. Not only did he pick out the perfect outfit for you, he made you. He designed you. He knows you. And this outfit is not like the stitch fix stuff you're going to have to return. There are no returns needed here. This is going to be the perfect fit for you by the perfect designer. He's got you. He, he's got what you need. So this is what God says about you. If, you're, if your outfit, if your spiritual outfit, your attitude is to reflect who you are, God says these three things about you. He says you are chosen. He says you are holy. And he says you are beloved. This is your true identity in Christ. And this is the place from where we can live our lives. This is the place from where we can be compassionate. This is the place from where we can be kind and humble and meek and patient with people around us because we know who we are in Jesus. And I want us to look into these words just quickly. The first word is chosen. He says, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones. God's chosen ones, that you are chosen, not the person next to you, not anybody on the other side of the room, nobody on the dream. You are the chosen one. And I didn't take Greek like your other pastor did. When we were in college, he took Greek. It was 8 o'clock on a Monday morning. And my joke all through college was Greek at 8 o'clock on a Monday. Everything's Greek. And that was my joke for four years through college. So I will not try to pronounce these words to you, but this word chosen in the original language is literally translated as this. It's a compound word. It's literally translated as out, I say, with an exclamation point. That's in the original translation. So it's this enthusiastic. God is looking out and he sees you and he chose you and he summoned you and he called you out of an eternity of darkness and placed you in relationship with him to know him. Out, I say. He chose you. He chose you. Of all the people he chose, he selected you. And that's good news for us today. Personally chosen. He, he literally chose you for himself. And the next word is holy. Holiness is hard to preach about because it can real fast slide into legalism. And it's tricky because we don't want to be legalistic. So I'm just going to share with you the original meaning of the word. I didn't make this up. So this came from the Bible. This is what the word says about holy. It is translated as sanctified, consecrated. Sanctified means I hope I'm a better Christian today than I was about a year ago. I hope I know God more and I hope I'm better at living for him two or three years from now than I was five years ago. If, if Christian Kelly in five years is no better off than Christian Kelly back in the day, then where has the consecration happened? Like we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to be matured and developed into our spiritual walk with Jesus. So holy means sanctified, consecrated. This word in the New Testament tells us that once we came to Christ, it's the blood of Jesus that separates us and consecrates us and makes us holy. So it's not what you can do. It's not what you don't do. It's not who you are or who you were born to or any of that stuff. It's only because of the blood of Jesus that God sees you as holy. And I know we don't always feel that way. It's, it's kind of, it feels awkward. It actually feels incompatible to us. Me, holy, no. But here's the thing. We all have the potential for it. We all have the potential for it. And as God sees you and as God chose you, he also sees you as this. Here's, here's another word. It says that he himself respects you, that God himself respects you as a holy dwelling place for his spirit. That's how God sees you. He sees you and he respects you as a, as a holy place for his spirit. Have you heard of the verse that says that our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit? It says, therefore, honor God with your body. That involves a lot of personal responsibility within that statement. But our bodies are seen as a holy dwelling place, that God sees us and respects us as such. It says he sees us as consecrated, sanctified, and different from others. Not perfect, but holy. 
And then the last word, this is our identity. To know what kind of outfit we need to be compatible with who we truly are. The third part of who you truly are is that of beloved. And this is a beautiful word. It comes from the, the, the word agape. And in fact, it says that, that this word is filled with such deep emotion and meaning that it's one of the hardest words to translate in the New Testament. It has baffled translators for centuries to translate this word beloved. It's filled with deep meaning. And agape love is a love that describes that which was past. So think of past you. God loved you then. I think of past me. God loved me then. I think of me now, the things that I'm working through, the struggles that are there for you. God loves you now right where you are. All the flaws, all the struggles, all the issues, all the sin, all the thoughts, all the habits and the patterns. God loves you now. He loves you past. He loves you present. And he loves you in the future. It's an unending kind of love. It's this beautiful picture that God loves us with an everlasting, unfailing love. Where we in our humanity, we we will fail God. And God forgives us and he will throw our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. But God, his love is unfailing and everlasting. It's an agape love. So when God says, hey, you are chosen, you are holy, you are beloved, this is what God is saying about you. And friends, there's an outfit, there's an attitude, there's a mindset that we need to wear to make us compatible with who we are. Agape love knows no limits or boundaries in how far, wide, or deep the love will go to show us the love. It's a sacrificial kind of love. And it's this picture, this is the last thought about agape love. When God calls you beloved, he calls you chosen. He calls you holy. He calls you beloved. It means that his thoughts are continuously towards you. That, that as he thinks about you, it causes feelings of awe and admiration and wonder to be drawn from his heart. That's so deep and so profound that that is God's feelings about you. He calls us his beloved. Those are his thoughts for us. You could say it this way. If God had a refrigerator in heaven, your picture would be on it. You are the apple of his eye. So this is who you truly are. This is your identity, and it needs a compatible wardrobe. True story. When I was a teacher, uh, I taught 11th and 12th grade, and, yo, when girls had a birthday, they came to school like it was their birthday. Like you knew. And they'd get to school, and I'd be like, wow, today must be your birthday. And I would tell them, you look great. But you, like, did you forget at 7 o'clock this morning when you were getting dressed for school that you weren't actually going to the club at, like, Thursday at 9 o'clock? Like, you look good, but, like, for the club, this is school. It was incompatible. It was incompatible. So we need a wardrobe that is compatible for us. We don't want to put new clothes on over our old clothes. And, And so if God is saying, hey, here's an outfit for you that's compatible with who you are as chosen, as holy, as beloved, this is compatible. We're gonna look at what that wardrobe is, but first we gotta there has to be a taking off. We gotta put off some other things. Say ditch the fit. We're gonna ditch the fit today. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians chapter four. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off. This word put off is translated like take it off, like you would a jacket, like actually like a, like a garment of clothes, take it off. So he says, your former way of life, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on, like clothes, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve anger, brawling, and slander along with for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. So what Paul is doing here in the scripture is he's contrasting our old way of life and our new way of life. And anytime we transition, if we don't transition aspects of our life together, there become things that are incompatible. Incompatible is like putting on clothes to go to an orientation when everything about your life has changed. Incompatible. Dressing like the club for school on a Thursday at 8 o'clock, incompatible. 
And I think there are a lot of us as Christians that have received Jesus and we're walking with Jesus, but we have not yet taken off the old things from our former way of life before we knew Jesus. And we're trying to put on clothes without taking off the other stuff. So the scripture is calling us to put off unforgiveness, to put off offense, put off bitterness, put off rage. Like it's not cute anymore. It's not cute. And this is the thing about our spiritual growth is that God will not dress us. Shout out to all the people who have ever dressed a toddler. My favorite meme ever is the one of um, Tom Cruise, and he's like battle-worn, he's tired, and the meme is like, got my toddler ready today. He's like, you just, like, I don't have any energy now. I don't even know where we were going now that I got both arms and both holes and both legs and got your hair. Like, it's, it's exhausting. And we are not perpetual spiritual toddlers for God to dress. This picture of like, you know, you fight a kid, you get it over their big toddler head, and then you get an arm through, and then you get another arm through, and then they pull this arm back in. And so then you, by the time you get this one, you get that one back. Now they pull this one out, and then the feet and the legs. The dive, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. This is, that does not describe our relationship with God. He is not going to dress us. He's not going to dress us because spiritual growth is our responsibility. And, and I think this is sometimes a tough message for us to embrace because we live in such an entitled society where we're constantly hearing about things like student loan forgiveness or like, hey, I'm going to take on this debt. It's for somebody else to pay off. I made these choices and these are the consequences, but someone else is going to have to deal with the choices that I have made. We live in a world that struggles with taking personal responsibility. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a ticket and had to go to court, but I have. And the judge would tell me, like, y'all, here's the full story. My seatbelt broke. And Landon fixed my seatbelt. He put in a lap belt instead of the shoulder strap. I got pulled over, and he said, you don't have a seatbelt on. And that conversation went on for some while because I for sure had a seatbelt on. And I was like, I do have a seatbelt on. He was like, not the right kind. And I was like, but I didn't know. He's like, it doesn't matter. I was responsible. It was on me. I had to take personal responsibility to understand the laws and the situations with a seatbelt in my car. That was on me. Personal responsibility sometimes comes at expensive lessons. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We learn these things the hard way. We see it in our kids, but personal, personal responsibility, spiritual growth is that. God will not put these clothes on us. He has provided the outfit. He has personally designed it for us. He has made it available to us, and we are commissioned, then we have to put it on. We have to put on the outfit. And if we don't, if, if we do not take off and then put on the outfit that is compatible with who we are in Jesus, we will look up, and we will not be a Christian for five or seven or ten years. We'll not be a ten-year-old Christian will have been a one-year-old Christian 10 times. We'll not have been a 20-year-old Christian. We'll have been a one-year-old Christian for 20 years if we do not take responsibility for our own spiritual growth and make an intentional decision as to what we will take off and what we will put on. That lies within us. And it's this really interesting concept about our will, free will. The thing that makes our relationships with one another so deep so meaningful and so beautiful is that we have a choice to be there. We have an option. We want to be there. We, we show up for relationships because we want to be there. And it's enjoyable and fun and meaningful because the other person who showed up, they also had a choice to be there. And so God gives us this beautiful thing of free will where we have a choice. What would you like to wear today? Would you like to wear clothes like compassion and kindness and, and humbleness? Or would you like to wear bitterness, unforgiveness, offense, and rage? Sometimes we pick the wrong clothes. But we have a choice, and that's what makes our relationship with God meaningful, is we have a choice in that. We can willingly choose certain things. So this word put off. So when Paul is talking about putting certain things off, it's this compound word. And I will not seek to speak Greek. That just happened in the moment. I didn't plan for that. But it's a compound word that is to put it, it's to set it away and to place something down. So it's to set it down and to push it away. It's this picture of someone who's laying something down and at the same time pushing it very far away. We've all done this at the restaurant. Where you have to say, like, I'm done. Like, my body is done, my heart continues, but I'm going to have to stop. you got no one to throw in the towel, so you put your fork over it, you put your napkin, and then you what? Push it away, right? Because it would be very humiliating to be like, nah, actually, I'm going to finish this. We don't, like, we're not going to do that. So you cover it, and you push it away to say, I am done with you. 
And this word, put off, and it says, put off your former way of life. Put off. It's this. You're going to set it down, and you're going to push it away. I am done with you. So if you're thinking about it in terms of clothes, we need to do a little bit of a closet clean out. We need to take some of these things out of our closet that are no longer compatible with who we are in Jesus and the life that we've been called to live in Jesus. We need to clean out the closet. You need to put it in that trash bag. I have a two-story home. I find it very satisfying to drop trash bags off the second floor and hear it land. So we need to do that with all of these things that are no longer compatible with being chosen, holy, and beloved. Bag it up. Tie it up. Put it in your, in your car. Drive around for a few months. And then finally... That's what we do with our Goodwill drop-off, right? Drive around for a few months and then drop it off. Because here's the thing that once it's in the bag, you're not going back to it. You, like, you've, already, you've made a choice in your mind, your will, your emotions. Like you've made a choice. You are dead to me. You, I am done with you. I am moving on. And you're in the bag and you tie the bag up and you set it aside. It's unlikely that you would go back to it. Now, if you drop these things off at Goodwill and you show back up to the Goodwill to look for your stuff, you have deeper problems. You should talk to someone about that. It's very unlikely that we would do that. But this is the kind of putting off we need to do with characteristics and attributes that are no longer compatible with living a life with Jesus. You need to bag it up, take it to the goodwill, set it down, push it away. That's what, that's what the whole put off means. So here's what put on means. It's the, it's the same word, and it means putting on clothes. It's a conscious effort to put on new attitudes and new characteristics. The, these characteristics are not really unlike fruits of the Spirit. Do you all know the fruits of the Spirit? you all want to sing the song? Anybody? No? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And the Word says that if you are connected to the vine, that the fruit will appear. And I think for a long time I accepted a form of teaching that was wrong. And the fact I'm like, well, if I'm in church and if I'm in small group and if I'm reading my Bible and if I'm praying, then I'll just naturally be kind. And I don't want to strive. I don't want to strive for righteousness or holiness. I don't want to be self-righteous or self-striving. But here's the thing. There has to be a conscious effort somewhere. We have to consciously, it's, and that's what the put on means. The put on means like, let's put this on. Let's choose our attitude today to be kind. Let's make a choice to be humble, which we're about to talk about. Like, I'm going to choose. I'm not just going to show up into a room and exist and then think that fruit's going to magically appear. No, there has to be cultivating and tending to and pruning and watering. There, there, there takes a lot of care, intentionality, and choices that are made for these things to manifest in our lives. So we're going to put it on. So here's the fit that we're talking about. You ditch the old fit, take it off, take it to the goodwill. Because it ain't cute no more. Just doesn't reflect you, it's not cute no more. So we need an outfit that looks good on us. So we've talked about kindness, compassion. Today we're talking about humility. Woo! <laughs> Tough crowd today. Humility. We don't usually like to talk about it. It's not super fun. Some translations say the word humbleness of mind. And here's another compound Greek word for you. It's these two words together. The last part, phronos, means to think. And then it means to think this, to think of an attitude of someone who is unassuming and not self-promoting. It suggests a person who is modest and unpretentious. We all like this person, by the way. We like to be around this person. We love to find out interesting things about people without like, them telling you all the things all the time. Like, we know the people who do CrossFit. We know the people who are, like, we know. We don't, like, we like the people to, oh, you ran a marathon? You didn't tell anybody? Like, you ran a marathon? That's amazing. Am I right? <laughs> That's Richard. <laughs> He's like, oh, I just started a business. We're like, what? That's amazing. Like, we love people that have this kind of humility about themselves. They're not self-promoting. They, they are very humble. We like to be around these kind of people, but we struggle sometimes to be this kind of person. So this word also describes humility depicts the attitude of someone who is humble, who is lowly, and who is willing Here's our word again about willingness and free will. So it's a person who is willing to stoop to any level that is needed. Willing to stoop to any level that is needed. Spoiler alert. Jesus on the cross. He was willing to stoop to any level that was needed. And because he was willing to do that, he saved all of humanity for all of time. And that's a beautiful thing. And actually, this is the kind of life that we are called to live, is the same kind of life with a willingness to stoop to any level that is needed in order to minister to other people. 
willing, like a, a willingness. And when I think about the word willing, I think about words that are contrary to willing. Like, is there a feeling of coercion or a feeling of resentfulness or a feeling of like you're, you're feeling uh, maybe pressured or obligated? That's not the same as willing. Willing means you are, you are happy to do the thing. Like there's this, it depicts a particular kind of attitude. And so when we talk about humble, lowly, willing to stoop to any level that's needed, the thing that makes this difficult for us is our pride. And the difficult thing about pride is that we can't often see where we have pride because of pride. It's very tricky. And the Bible talks a lot about pride, particularly in the book of Proverbs. Now, if you were to read through Proverbs, there are 31 chapters. You could read one chapter a day for the next month. You would quickly find out that the writer of Proverbs had zero tolerance for the tomfoolery of a fool. Like, the writer of Proverbs was like, no patience at all, zero tolerance. They come, he comes down very hard on a fool, like very clear. Except the only thing worse than being a fool, this is what it says in Proverbs, is that of a person who has pride. Pride is, the, is worse than being a fool. And if you read how much he talks about a fool, and then he's like, the worst thing is pride. It's, it's a big deal. And it's hard to see it in our own lives because pride keeps us from seeing it. And so I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself as we talk about humility, does humbleness of mind operate in your own life? And as we think about Jesus, who was willing to stoop to any level to minister to those around him, he didn't come into this world even with that kind of attitude. He didn't see himself as better. He didn't see himself as more deserving. He didn't ask for a green room with a particular kind of buffet with it. I don't know where green room Christianity even came from because it's certainly not the life we see modeled in Jesus. Jesus, in fact, it, it says, and we're going to look at the scripture, like he obtained the fullness of God himself, and yet he became, he became a human. And not just a human, but a baby human. And not just a baby human, but born to parents with, like they kind of had a bad reputation to start with. His parents weren't married. There was no place for him to even be born. So it's like, like if he could humble himself and then like keep taking it down, man, that's, that's how the Savior of the world came to us. That's how he came to us. And then he lived his life from that place where he washed other people's feet. He hung out with people who had contagious diseases and he healed them. He hung out with people and got close to people who were the wrong ethnicity to them culturally. He hung out with women who were the wrong ethnicity, which was culturally really bad. And then he would even hang out with children who never had a place in society in Jesus' time. And to the point where his own disciples were like, Jesus, like, can you stop hanging out with these kids? And he's like, let the little children come to me. Like, let them come to me. He never saw himself as too good to be with certain people. He, was, he lived with a willingness to stoop to any level that was necessary. He worked as a carpenter. He came to not to serve, but to serve. And even when he rode into town, when he was going to die on the cross at, during Passion Week, he entered on a baby donkey. He didn't come in on a great stallion. He models humility for us from the very beginning all the way through his entire life, even to the point of dying on a cross. Dying on the cross where he's, he's beaten, he's publicly mocked, he's humiliated, and then ultimately he dies on the cross. When we live with pride, pride has something to prove. Pride has something to prove. Pride has to be heard. Pride has to be right. Pride can never be lowered, can never lower you in someone else's eyes. Pride sees themselves as entitled and a place of importance. That's, that's where pride comes from. And I think that we, we try to fight for that place out of pride because we don't truly know who we are in Jesus. And when we truly know who we are in Jesus, nobody can knock us off of a high horse because we're not on it in the first place. We already know that we're chosen. We already know that he calls us holy. We already know that he calls us beloved. We already know that he's got an unfailing, unending love for us. So I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I can come to it from a place of humility because I understand who I am. I understand who I am in Jesus, and I need to wear an attitude that is compatible with who I am. I want us to look at the scripture in Philippians chapter 2, subtitled, I didn't make this up, it's in God's word, the humility of Christ. 
How fitting for today. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So here's a really great working definition for humility in our own lives. It says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Just a valuing others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. Humility is a selflessness. It's existing for the sake of uplifting other people. And we have this tension in our society that says, self-care, self-care, self-care. And we feel like we have to choose. And I just want to submit to you today, humbly, might I add, that it's a dumb dichotomy to choose self-care or other care. We can do both. You can put on your oxygen mask and then you can lift up others throughout your life. You can defer to other people. We can live a life, the word is deference, where we're constantly deferring to the people around us. And I think we struggle with that because we're like, well, what about what I want? What, what about me? Well, this is what we are called to do, called to, va- to put other people's value first, to put their interests first. It's being willing to stoop to any level necessary to meet other people's needs. So it says, valuing the interests of others. And I just wonder, what would our marriages look like if we lived a life of deference in our marriages? Where, like, it's okay if I'm wrong. It's okay if you're right about something and I don't have to prove myself. How, how, how much more quickly could our arguments end if we lived a life of deference? If we weren't trying to prove ourselves or if we didn't feel humiliated at the fact that we are wrong sometimes. Like if we could quickly own where we are wrong in our arguments with one another. How much more quickly would our arguments be resolved with one another if we lived a life of humility? I think about the relationships with our kids. How how would that change if we treated them and came to them with a willingness to stoop to any level? Or our neighbors, our coworkers? This is one of the outfits that we are called to wear. Let's look at the rest of this scripture in Philippians. Verse 5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as our personal designer today, God is designing our lives and our relationships, and here's how he says to live them. He says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, which, by the way, let's not just read past that. Having the very nature of God, the fullness of the awe, the wonder, the power, the spectacularness, he had all of that, and yet he came the way he came. It says, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't use that to his advantage, even when he was tempted in the desert. He was tempted, tempted with pride three times in the desert. Hey, prove to us if you are who you say you are. That was the devil's temptation to him, to prove his identity, to prove his power, to prove that he can be spectacular. It was to prove his place, but he didn't have to do that because he knew who he was. So he didn't use it to his own advantage. Verse 7 says, Rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I think for us to live a life of humility, it has to do with our willingness. Our willingness to be obedient to Jesus. Our willingness to walk the way that Jesus walked. It's connected It's directly connected to our level of obedience to God. And we see here in the scripture that he humbled himself by becoming obedient. And I don't know about for you guys, but for me, obedience is fine as long as I agree with what I'm being told to do. I'm really good at following rules. Don't be too shocked. When I agree with them, when I see the purpose of them, when I like them, and when I support them, I'm really good at following rules. And in fact, I'll be a rule enforcer for everybody else if I like it. But if I think the rule is dumb, or I don't see a purpose for it, or it's inconvenient to me, or I just maybe don't have the mood to that day, then maybe I won't. And that's kind of our nature with God is we find it easy to live in obedience with him until we don't want to. But it's the when we don't want to that it actually matters the most, to be obedient to him. It says to death, even death on a cross. So James 4, 5 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the word humble here is similar but kind of different because this word, it it talks about the willfulness 
to submit ourselves to the authority of God in our lives. It's a willfulness involved in it. So willfully submitting to God's commands. And it's willfully stepping out of the driver's seat of our lives, stepping out of the driver's seat to say, God, you made me. God, you know all the plans and purposes for me. God, I trust that you know what's best for me. I can trust you and I can submit to you willfully. I will step aside. Jesus, take the will. Because that is what we need. It's a, it's a picture of a willful choice to surrender our lives to Jesus. A willfulness. And, and our will is actually a major component of our soul. Our emotions, our will, that's a huge part of it. And if we can yield that to the Lord, we will be able to live a life of humility to those around us. And I wonder who all could we impact around us if we were willing to stoop to any level for the people around us. If we didn't look at things as like, well, maybe I'm too good to do that, or that's, that's beneath me, or I'm not going to do those things. But if we can willfully step into those, whose lives would we be willing to impact? Who's out there waiting for us to step into that place of helping meet needs, even if it feels like it's beneath us? So humility, it values others above ourselves, and it puts others' interests first, willingly submits to God. And, and we're supposed to talk about meekness today, too. I think that we're running out of time a little bit, so I'm going to go through it very quickly. So if we're to put on clothes, like this is the outfit that is compatible with a Christ follower. One we've talked about over the weeks, compassion and kindness, humility, and the next one is meekness. I'm going to just give you a profile of a person who would be uh, meek, of a meek person in the summer. Crystal did a whole message on meekness, and it was phenomenal. So if you would like it in depth, go back and listen to that. For today's sake, we will just look at it on like a profile. Meekness. There is a Greek word for you, which, again, I will not give to you. But here is, here is the definition. It describes a person who is forbearing, patient, and slow to respond in anger, or a strong-willed person who has learned to submit his will to a higher authority. Not weak, but controlled. And I find it very interesting that all of these things we're talking about today have to do with our willingness. How willing are we to be self-controlled? How willing are we to take off things that don't match our current life? How willing are we to put things on? How willing are we to stoop to any level that's necessary? How willing are we to submit to the lordship of Jesus in our lives? How willing are we? And so this person possesses a firm will and powerful character, may have strong opinions. However, this person has learned how to bring their will under control. And look at this next one. It says when a person is confronted with an injurious situation, which I really like that word because you see the word injury in it. And so it's one thing to be nice to people when they're being nice to you. Easy peasy doesn't count. Sorry. It matters when you respond to people when it's an injurious, injurious situation. When they're trying to injure you, when they're trying to offend you, when they're trying to hurt you, when they're trying to offend you, when they're trying to knock you down, when they're trying to hurt your feelings, when they're trying to, when there's an opportunity, when your buttons are getting pushed, when you're put in a situation and everything in you is wanting to rage out of control, that's when. So in that kind of situation, it says a meek person doesn't react with rash or angry outbursts, flying into a rage and throwing a temper tantrum. Instead, they respond with kindness, gentleness, mildness, or even, mind-blown moment, friendliness. So when everything in you wants to punch them in the face, you actually respond the opposite, which is with kindness and friendliness. This is meekness. Sometimes I think that our flesh just loves to rage out of control. It can actually feel good to us to rage out of control. And, and when we do that, there's this false sense of I'm exerting my power and my strength by raging out of control. And if I can get loud and big and mean and ugly, then you'll know how strong I am. That is contrary. The truth is we show our actual strength by keeping all of that under control. It takes actual strength to remain composed and even friendly in the moment when somebody is trying to hurt you. That is actual strength, that is actual power, is when we're not just going to fly off the handle in a temper tantrum and rage out of control. So this person is able to remain silent and keep their emotions and temper in check. And there's this, there's this idea, biblically, a definition for meekness that, is a, that has a medical connotation. 
And it says a meek person's response is so gentle and so mild that it acts as a soothing medicine for an angry or upset soul in an unsettling situation. So we're able to come in as water instead of gasoline. And I want you to think about a moment when you have had really raging emotions in a circumstance. Like you were ready to just rip somebody up. We would have all benefited from this kind of person entering the room at that moment. Like if that person walked in and was able to calm us and settle us down, the Bible describes that as a soothing medicine for people who are upset in those moments. And God is commissioning us to put on these clothes, to go out into the world, and to become a water on these kinds of fires. That we don't add to it, but we're a soothing medicine for people. Psalm 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so it's not that you have to respond to somebody in anger. Even just a kind word, a loving word, can bring the temperature down. It can turn the flames down in a moment where there's lots of emotion raging. It says that a a harsh word stirs up anger, but a soft answer turns away wrath. So this person knows how to control themselves and their emotions. And I think that this takes a lot of intentionality, and I think it takes a lot of practice. And I think that we will give our kids a leg up if we can begin to model this for them. Our kids know where our buttons are and where our temper lies, and they'll know when they're pushing them, and then we can respond with friendliness. And they'll, they'll learn that they, too, can be self-controlled. And so it takes an intentionality of, I'm going to put this on. Today, I am going to choose to be self-controlled in my emotions. Today, I will choose to respond to people by, with deference, where I will defer to other people. And again, we can live a life of meekness, just like a life of humility, if we don't have anything to prove. We don't have anything to prove because I already know who I am in Jesus. So I don't have to prove anything to anybody. And so we can value others' interests. We can put them above our own when it comes to living a life of humility. And we don't have to continue to wear clothes that no longer fit for us. So as we change in the Lord, as we grow, uh, as we walk with him longer, we can wear an outfit that is compatible. That was the word we started off with today was compatible. So today my prayer for you is that you will let the Holy Spirit dress you in a new and better way. And this outfit that we have an opportunity to put on, an outfit of meekness, an outfit of humility and kindness and compassion. Friends, this outfit looks good on you. This is the kind of outfit that makes your eyes just pop. It makes your eyes dance. It makes your smile a million-dollar smile. It fits you just right in all the right places. It, it just, it's, a, it's the perfect accent to all your greatest assets, and it hides all the things that you don't. This is the perfect outfit for you, and today the invitation is to intentionally make a choice to put it on, to put on meekness, to put on humility, and let the Lord be your personal fashion designer today. And we end every service with a response time. We have tables on both sides. And on the tables, there are response cards and there's communion. And we're also going to have prayer partners. We just ask that you do one of those things to respond. You may do all three, but do something to respond to the word that you've heard today. And actually, communion is a great response to that of humility and meekness because that's the, that is the life that Jesus lived for us. We are beneficiaries of his humility, the way that he walked that out, his body broken for us. And because he was willing to be broken, because he was willing to reject pride in his own life and walk in humility, we are able to receive the forgiveness of our sins and receive the blood of Jesus. So you can respond with communion. You can write on a card the answers to the questions we're about to walk through, or you can pray with somebody. And so some questions for you to consider today is does your life demonstrate the characteristics of humbleness and meekness? Does does your life demonstrate these things? How can you put on humility today? How can you today choose a life of deference for those you live with, for those in your family, Maybe somebody you're married to or your kids. How can you live a life of deference where you're deferring to other people, where you're putting their interests over your own and you're valuing others above yourself? And then I would ask, where is your willingness level? Like if a lot of this has to do with our will, where is your willingness level? Do you personally feel like it's under compulsion, like you have to do it, like there's a coercion? Do you feel like resentful to the fact that this is... 
the outfit to put on. Like, where is the willingness level? When it, when it comes to Jesus being in the driver's seat of your life and your willingness to submit to him, your willingness to come under his authority, your willingness to obey him, is that joyful or is it difficult for you? Where is your willingness level? And I would just encourage you to be honest about those things. Not to let pride get in the way, but to actually be honest about, this is difficult for me. And I think the sooner we can be honest about where there's pride in our life, and I think you can find an answer to that where it's difficult for you to be willing to submit to God, you can start to address those things and work through them. Where's your willingness level? How willing are you to see yourself as lowly? How willing are you to stoop to any level that other people, to, in order to minister to other people? How willing are you? And then the last question is, how's your temper? How in control of your emotions are you? And what would your life and your relationship look like if you were to actively practice meekness in your life? Emotional self-control. Honestly, it, it would feel so freeing to me if I could be intentional and grow in this aspect. And as I have done work on this in the past, it's actually freeing to know that no one else can set me off. No one else has that control over me. It's actually very freeing that I can be in control of my emotions, that I don't have to rage out of control. I can bring them under control willingly as I submit to God. So these are some questions for you to consider. I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand. I'm gonna pray over you. I'm gonna ask God to speak to you. Maybe you can write these answers down, journal them, pray about them, ask God these questions. I believe that God will speak to you what your next steps are for this. Lord, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you that, that you yourself lived a life of humility, that you came to us and you walked it out perfectly, a life of humility. And God, that as you invite us into a relationship with you, we're in, we're, our call, our calling as a Christian is to pick up our cross and follow you. And, and God, this morning, I pray for each one of us as we pick up our cross. God, as we willingly submit to you, as we willingly yield to you, as we willing, are willing to stoop to any level for the sake of elevating other people, God, we submit our will to you this morning. God, would you forgive us for times that we've, we've walked in pride? God, times that we've been unwilling to obey, unwilling to yield, unwilling to let you in the driver's seat. God, God I just pray that we'll, we'll submit our... In, and yield our will to you today. God, not my will, but yours be done. God, your will in my marriage, your will in my parenting, your will in my job, your will be done in my life. God, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I pray that we will be intentional to make a choice, to put off clothes that aren't cute on us anymore. God, it's not cute to walk with Jesus and still be carrying around offense. It's not cute to, to walk with you for years and still be carrying around unforgiveness. God, I pray that we will take these things off and drop them off and that we will intentionally choose to put on the outfit that you've picked out for us. God, would we put on kindness? Would we put on compassion? Would we, would we put on humility and meekness? God, would we wear the clothes, the spiritual clothes, the attitude that is now compatible with our life in Jesus? Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us, that you have called us out, that you see us as holy. God, that we are your beloved, that you love us with an unfailing, unending love. And God, thank you that you will outfit us in a way that is appropriate for that new life. God, would we choose that today in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.